welcome to Nelda Live. Join your host, Nelda Sue Yor, as she talks to the artists, dreamers, storytellers, and pioneers to learn about their inspiration and the tools and techniques they use to make a difference. You too might be inspired, because as Nelda likes to say, sometimes all it takes is a spark. Here's Nelda. Welcome to Nelda Live. Today, my guest is London Kay. London, welcome to the show. London, you are a crochet street artist and so much more. I, it has a lot of titles. I don't know what the best way to explain what I what I do, but crochet street artist is my favorite. Uh, well, you know, I came to know your stuff through actually a team member. And she said, Nelda, you got to see this girl. And I was like, oh, my goodness, look at this stuff. And so then... I want you to know I fell in love with you because you are such a ray of sunshine to your community. I love the fact that you do street art with yarn. What an amazing concept. And um, that you do that and you give back to your community through that. Thank you. You're welcome. That's my favorite part is the way that neighborhoods kind of come around the art and really embrace it. So how did you even get started in crochet? Oh my goodness. I, I learned to crochet when I was 13. So I've been doing it for a while now. And my best friend's mom taught me and, and my sister and my friends on one, one day after school with a really big crochet hook and chunky yarn. And we learned how to make a scarf. So from there, did you ever make money selling your creations? I did. I did. I was like a bit of an entrepreneur back young, young. Um, so I made a little book with different sample swatches of different yarn colors. And I took it to school and I would let my friends mix and match their favorite color combinations. I sold my first scarf for $2. Um, but the prices went up. We did some sales, you know, like two for 20. Then we got to like two for 40. And um, by the time I was 16, I actually bought my car with my scarf money. I love that. I cannot wait. I, that is the part that I really need to tell my youngest daughters. It's like, hey, look at there. Look what this child did. I tell you what, how old? So 16, you bought your own car. That is fascinating. So what did that teach you about entrepreneurship? It, I mean, it taught me that I could earn money with my hands and by making something out of nothing. And that even if, I guess like you're in a pinch, you can always kind of get out of it by being creative. So it was a good lesson to learn early on. So you were in school for dance. How long were you in school for dance? When did you start? How old and how, <laughs> where did it take I you? Danced, oh, growing up my whole life, I did ballet. I was in the Nutcracker every year. And um, I ended up getting a full scholarship to NYU for dance. So... I didn't want to be a professional dancer. Um, my mom was my dance teacher growing up, which was so amazing. But um, I got an injury in high school that kind of I was like, you know what, may not be the right career for me, but it was a fun way to go to college. I got to New York City. Oh, my gosh. I love New York. Um, so that was just fantastic. Oh, you know, I love New York, too. So what made you at what point did you decide to do more than scarves and hats? It was not for a while. Like I would just crochet scarves, 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 scarves. Um, and nobody really, there's so many other stitches in crochet too, but I stick with the most basic stitch. It's called single crochet. And the reason I like that stitch is because you can be very 
free form and creative with it. You don't really have to follow a pattern. You can crochet outside the box. Um, but it wasn't until, so after college, I got a job working at the Apple store, um, selling computers, selling iPhones because I needed to pay rent. And, uh, so I was working there and about two years into that, I was, I was trying to figure out like, what's my true life purpose. I was going through, I guess you could say a quarter life crisis of some kind, but I was watching Ted talks and just lists and lists and lists of all the things I love to do. And crocheting was always at the top of that list. And ironically, really late one night at the Apple store, an artist came in wearing head to toe crochet. And I was like, I didn't even know what to say. So after she left the store, I Googled her name and her name is Oleg. And she's one of just the very early kind of mothers of unconventional crocheted art. And through her Google, I stumbled upon the world of yarn bombing. And that is when I started to get much more creative with my work and um, kind of my whole journey switched right from that one moment. My whole life changed. So London, how would you describe yarn bombing to just anyone? Yarn bombing is when you take a piece of knit or crochet fabric and wrap it around something in a public space. So you'll see a lot of trees wrapped, fire hydrants. It's really, that's kind of like traditional yarn bombing. And um, my form of yarn bombing is more unconventional where I crochet a lot of shapes and pictures and hang it on chain link fence. And both are yarn bombing. It's really just putting yarn out in your neighborhood. So how many installations do you think you have done? I think I've done around like 600, 700, 800. But if you count all those hearts, we're up in the 20,000s. <laughs> that's, that's a really high estimate. But honestly, you never know. I've been doing, I've had my 10,000 hours plus. Wow. So tell me about the 30-day challenge you did. Oh, I love your questions. You're asking me all the things I like to talk about the best because the 30 day challenge came from watching those TED talks and like learning about how if you do something for 30 days, it becomes a habit. And for some reason, I wanted to put out street art made of yarn in, in my neighborhood and around New York City for 30 days and leave it there just for people to enjoy, not asking anything in return. Um, but as you know, I've always been a bit entrepreneurial. So I, I did have a website. So I put my tag on it. And this 30-day challenge started out really by wrapping scarves around trees, which is very traditional when it comes to yarn bombing. You take a scarf and wrap it around something. Um, but then from there, I kind of was looking at the environment. Brooklyn had a lot of chain link fence. And I started crocheting. I think a heart was maybe my first thing that I learned to kind of make. And then I learned to write, which was very cool because you can like give yourself a voice that way. And then a big one in that 30 day challenge was the 4th of July because it forced me to learn how to crochet an American flag. Um, and so like slowly I was developing the style and learning more and more how to crochet. But in the 30 days, I, I did it actually for 50 days. And by day 50, it was like a girl leaping on a chain link fence um, over in the over the Hudson River. And it, it was so cool. And good things started to happen right away. So how was your, how was it recognized? I mean, did people begin to recognize you? What happened during that time? Did you get a following? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Instagram was still different back then. This was 2013. So I started my account then. Um, but within the, it was more about like in New York, so many people are walking around and 
and seeing things and passing things and especially anything made of yarn. It has that like nostalgic feel to it. And um, I just think it makes people kind of take an extra second to look. But within that first month, I got asked to do accessories for a New York uh, Fashion Week show, which was dream come true. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then like a few little articles here and there. But it wasn't until after the 30-day challenge, someone wrote about me in the Huffington Post and that kind of like helped give me a little more cred, I guess you could say. That's so great. So you're out there, you're creating these pieces, you're, you're yarn bombing, you're, it, people are beginning to follow this, but you're out there putting things on, I guess, public property or maybe private property. I don't know. So did you ever get in trouble for any of it? Um, I, so I do it in the middle of the day. I'll wear this, you know, high shoes are great because then you could reach higher. So, it, it, you know, I try to find fences, especially now I ask permission because I've just found that like, if you go, if you find a fence you really like and there's a shop next to it and you show them like a crazy mermaid made of yarn and ask them if you could put this next door, um, they generally say yes. Yes. But, <laughs> yeah. but uh, early on and even now sometimes if you can't, uh, construction fences are great. Uh, fences that, you know, are maybe temporary or not on anyone's property. But I have gotten stopped maybe four times out of the 500 times that I've I've put up street art and I've never really gotten in trouble. They've asked me to like cut it down and I'll say like, oh, I'm putting it up for a photo. I'll cut it down right after. And oh, no problem. Um, So, yeah. (laughs) So do you know how many pieces you've put up at this time? You know, no. (laughs) Um, I mean, one, one project I did on Valentine's Day, I crocheted a thousand hearts and put it out in Union Square. And then since then, these hearts have become like this project I love. I have some even hanging on the big heart there. But um, I I numbered them up until at least 2,500. But I probably made double of that. And I don't know if we count each heart as one, um, but we're up there with the number of projects if we do. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Maybe you should be in, uh, what is it, where people have to, I don't know, get us World Book of Records. That's what it was. <laughs> Okay, the one that I want to be in the Guinness book for is I crocheted a car and drove it from LA to Florida in a completely crocheted car for two weeks. And I didn't take the proper procedures to get in the book for that one. I should have though. Darn, that is so good. (laughs) So what happens to these installments after you put them up? It's surprising. Like the yarn does really well in the elements. So we don't have to worry about the weather pieces have stayed up for over three years and they'll fade a little bit but it's really people that touch them and take them and i'd say the average shelf life of a yarn bomb is maybe two weeks i'd say the two weeks is a good run for any um but i mean some stay up for an hour oh the one that because i don't mind if people take it that's fine they love it so much can't live without it but this one particular piece, I crocheted 10 girls from 10 Vogue covers starting from 1910 to modern day wearing the actual looks off of that cover. Wow. I hung it in Soho on, inter- on um, International Women's Day and I spent so much time on it. I never do this, but I was like, I'm actually going to cut it down at the end of the day and save them for a possible, I don't know, more permanent installation. 
within two hours, every single girl was cut down and my tag. That's the only one that just like, oh. Yes, <laughs> because it is different than other street art because other street artists, I have friends who are street artists, they're working with on the wall with paint, spray paint. They're working. It's a it's a more permanent thing. So that is very unique to your art. It is, but I also like it because I'm not damaging property, especially if I'm not asking. And um, we're I've always felt lucky with the world of social media and whatnot. Like once you get that good photo and share it, at least it captures it for that one moment. Um, but yeah. It is, it is a little, little heartbreaking, yeah. but. And it just thought just came to me too, that you're also though a little bit more permanent than the chalk artist. <laughs> yeah. Right. Or like sands. <laughs> yes. So I guess there is that. So. <laughs> Something to be before, right? <laughs> so how do you decide what you're going to create? It depends. Like, I mean, bright colors, like the, one of the pieces I just made, it, the inspiration began because I had a lot of blue yarn. Um, there was a lot more, you know, it ended up turning into like a first wave and then a first wave of the coronavirus. And I hung it up in Malibu, um, on this fence and it's like the ocean in the background and it's so cool. So something could start from just like a lot of yarn color. Um, but things going on in the world, current events, pop culture, how I'm feeling, how, what my neighborhood is, you know, maybe something new went up in the neighborhood and it's like, oh, wow, a piece of art really needs to go there. So sometimes it's from the location, but most of the time it's from like whatever's going on in life. And 2020 has been filled with inspiration. Yes. I love yeah. but so yeah. much inspiration. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you have lived in New York and LA. Uh, so do this different cities offer a different kind of vibe and inspiration? Absolutely. I grew up in LA and I lived in New York. I went to college there and stayed for 10 years. And that's where I started Durham Balmy. And then I've been here for about three years. And it's it's definitely different. I mean, the weather in LA, it's so obvious, but every winter in New York, I would be like, you know, I get faster at hanging things up because it's really cold. You have to wear the, the gloves with the fingertips cut out. And um, so in order to tie it up quick enough. So that's a that's a plus. Um, of doing it here, but the city's so spread out and you're in your car a lot more. And I sometimes wonder if I'd be talking with you about this if I started doing yarn bombing in LA, just because of the way the city's laid out. I think I was pretty lucky to have New York as my backdrop, at least to get started, you know, and, and, and show people what I, what I'm made of. (laughs) That is a a, a really neat insight. So what's your favorite yard yarn bomb <laughs> what's your favorite do you have one I do I do I, I mean I have so many favorites um and but the one that usually like was really cool one is it's on 6th Avenue and 14th Street in New York City and it's on the Avenue block and there's the chain link fence that probably went for about 40 feet and I crocheted a dragon shooting fire and this was during Game of Thrones time. Uh-huh. And it went, the fire went for the whole, whole fence. And this one was special because it did stay up for about two weeks. And on that avenue in New York, it's like crazy that it was there for that long. But when it came down, um, the neighborhood, they came out with ribbons saying like, who took my dragon? Where's my dragon? 
And it was just beautiful. It was the first time that I saw really how like a neighborhood in the community embraces the art around them. And I came back with a sign with Khaleesi, one of the characters in there, like, have you seen my dragon? And put it on the same fence. And um, like, and that was cool. And I still was working at the Apple store there. I was probably part-time by then. But like, just from that, that one yarn bomb, like getting on the news and doing interviews, just because the neighborhood loved it so much. It's, it's really exciting to see how when, you know, you don't expect it, good things are still like, they come. If you're doing good, good comes. They do come. Absolutely. So what's the first piece you were commissioned to do? Ooh, the first piece I was commissioned to do. I made, I'm going to go with like, and was actually paid for. Okay. Um, because that was a big it was a big moment because I was working full time at the Apple store and it was snowing a lot that winter. And I hung up a snowflake on a chain link fence and there's a store in New York called ABC carpet and home. And they were doing a new window display and it was featuring like a bunch of plant cell looking things. And the buyer saw my snowflake and commissioned me to make these dream catchers for their window display and to be sold in the store. And I, they set the price and I, my mouth dropped because I was like, this is more than I make in two weeks working my full-time job. Like I could maybe actually quit that and earn money, not selling scarves, but making things that are way more unconventional, way more fun. And, um, yeah, so that was a good, that was a good commission. So when you think about that first job, did you ever envision what you're doing now? No way. Uh, no way. I, the closest thing maybe would have been to like work as a fashion designer of some kind, but not with yarn. Like I, I did not expect this. Like everything's been very organic though. Like because I did have my job when I was starting out, I was never forced to do things maybe out of line from what my, what I wanted to do because I had my job to pay my rent and to take care of life. So this was all just like very step by step and it took a lot to quit. I, I crocheted, I got a job crocheting a billboard in Times Square for Miller Lite beer and it was 50 feet by 25 feet. I got girls and one guy to help me knit and crochet or not knit. I just crochet, um, to help me crochet the project. And so once I got that job, finally, I was able to be like, all right, I can pay for my own health insurance. I don't, I have a computer, don't need the discount. And, you know, I made up every excuse in the world, but finally was done. And that was at the end of 2015. How long did it take to do that billboard? With a lot of these big commissions, they usually give you the timeline. So I had three weeks to get it done. And I, I mean, when you, I couldn't do it all myself. I mean, I needed 55 foot by five foot navy blue crocheted squares. So when you break it down, it's like, oh, I can get people together to crochet the backdrop for me. I will spend the next three weeks figuring out how to crochet beer bottles and reindeer and snowflakes and all these other things. Um, but so, yeah, three weeks to crochet. It, and then my sister went with me. We went to a billboard factory. We drove it in a minivan from New York to Ohio to assemble it all, put the pieces together um, and when it was done, they rolled it up and drove it back to New York City. So we probably had about a month total with the whole like crochet and then assemble. But I seen that thing unroll 
hole in Times Square. It was like 5 a.m. I I think I may have almost puked, actually, which is a weird reaction. Times Square is such a unique place, though. And it, you know, I when when I read about that, I was like, man, I wish I had seen that, you know, myself, because that's that's just fantastic. And it must Thanks. have been such a moment for you. It was one of my biggest moments, like, ever. And growing up, actually, when I was in seventh grade, so the billboard was right by the Marriott Marquis Hotel in, in Times Square. And when I was in seventh grade, I won a really big dance competition at the Marriott Marquis in Times Square. I won like grand national dance champion, my biggest win ever as a dancer. So it was like really cool parallel to be like, wow, I'm back in almost like the exact same place, having like this biggest moment ever happen right there. So the universe works in mysterious ways. That sure does. Fantastic. That's wonderful. So um, when you do a commission like this, I mean, do you, do you come up with the idea for them? Do they pitch something to you or do they already know what they want? It depends. Um, for the billboard, they knew exactly what they wanted. So they gave me what to crochet and I crocheted it. And I like it that way. But it, it usually for these jobs, they'll come to me with a possible idea of, of using yarn um, in some magical way. And I will have to sketch things out, put together a presentation figure out budgets, um, give them multiple options. They may not even want to do it. So a lot of times, maybe from the outside, it's like, oh, she's so lucky. People are coming to her and she's getting these big jobs. But if I wasn't working every single day to make sure to do all the admin side of this this life, I mean, I wouldn't be getting the jobs because I just wouldn't be able to follow through and and really do the work. So there's a lot that goes into each commission. I never drew or sketched growing up, but now, I mean, sketching is part of my my process just because you, people have to see what what's in your mind. And like, if you can sketch it out and everyone's on the same page, it's just going to be much better moving forward. Right. So let's move to the Red Valentino designing a clothing line. What was that like? And what pieces did you design? That was so they saw a video of me yarn bombing the subway on Valentine's Day. I covered like all the poles in the subway and I got an email signed the house of Valentino. And I thought it was spam, you know, like, you know, it's like, this is no way, but they wanted to Skype. So I was like, you know what, just in case it's not, let's do it. And, um, it wasn't, it started out by doing uh, window displays. So I actually got to go to Rome to install one in person, but I did 14 window displays for them and they were sent all around the world to their different stores. And I love like fashion, couture, beautifully crafted garments. So that was just so amazing to work with them. But then from there, they asked if I wanted to do a capsule collection for them to kind of roll out the next wave of windows. And I mean, I have them right right over here. It's like, uh, uh, they're so cute and so in my style. But it's kind of, um, when I talk about this, it's so funny because all of this overlapped exactly with when I was on the TV show, The Amazing Race, which has nothing to do with crocheting. <laughs> but trying to do all of this right as you're about to travel around the world with no cell phone or computer for a whole month, um, doing physical challenges and racing. And so I'm like trying to, you know, take CrossFit and get in shape for this. And then I'm going home and then, you know, figuring out window displays and shipping. And 
So it's, it was a very stressful time, but it was a dream come true. Oh, I imagine it was. I imagine it just really was something that I, another one of those moments, right? You didn't expect in life. Definitely. So. <laughs> Let's talk about your mom and dad. Were your parents supportive of all your creativity growing up? I could not think of more supportive parents. Like just talking about that Red Valentino story, like without my mom and my sister, it wouldn't have gotten done. Like simply because I had to leave the country. Um, Like I, growing up, like my mom was my dance teacher. My dad's a writer. My sister's an actress. So like very artsy family. And I mean, we're all super close. So their support has been in, I don't, I don't even have words for how important that's been every step of the way. My mom may be a little too supportive sometimes, but I probably shouldn't say that because she's definitely going to listen to this podcast. No, we all are. (laughs) (laughs) Your creativity led you to an invention. Let's talk about that aspect too. (laughs) How'd that happen? Oh, it's so, it's so cool. So I've always been techie, like with Apple and I've had friends in the tech world. Um, I love all that video editing, Photoshop, flying drones, the whole nine. So when I was kind of trying to figure out like, oh, this is where the inspiration started. So it started because of the billboard project, actually, when I had all of these people coming to help me and I needed to give them a tool to do the job. And I always crochet with a really big, big crochet hook. But I've like collected really good ones over the years. And the only ones that were really available in bulk at like a Joann's or Michael's were these really clunky, heavy, bulky crochet hooks. And I was like almost embarrassed to have to give them this to work with. So I decided to combine all of my favorite features of a crochet hook. Um, I've shortened kind of the stem of it, added a twist to make it more ergonomic. Uh, It's lighter. Uh, which makes you crochet faster. And um, I use 3D printing to kind of test out different, I'm looking at my printer right there, uh, test out different thing, versions of the hook to, to make sure that I know what works best. And um, I had an upstairs neighbor who was really good with the programming of <laughs> and designing of it. And so that was super fun to just work on that. Um, and we figured out the right design and I've been printing them ever since. Wow. So what were the problems you solved? So... Problems were ergonomic. So the bigger hooks are really heavy, so they hurt your wrist more. So I made a twist. Um, I've pointed this, uh, the, the top of it. So some hooks are curved, but if it's pointed, it goes in and out of the, the loops of yarn easier. And um, the lightness just to help with the speed. I love that because, you know, I learned to crochet with my grandmother when I was a little girl. And all of those different things were reasons why I didn't continue with it so it's yeah you know I that's amazing thank Uh, you I actually got a patent for the crochet hook design good for you I tell you that's so great (laughs) so what other do you use any other medium besides yarn uh, as an artist I do a little bit like I'm just creative so I dabble I love to sew I love to do embroidery I do I have been painting a bit more during quarantine um I've made a quilt, like I've been doing stuff, you know, I like to do other things, but I crochet, I procrastinate crocheting by crocheting, like other things. Like I love to crochet so much that it just dominates everything in every way. Do you know why you chose to focus on it? What is it about it? 
I think I've always been fascinated about like making people happy in a way, like taking people out of like maybe the chatter in their head. And, and cause when you're in the present, it's like, okay, you can be, you're good in this moment. Everything's all right. And I think that the yarn has allowed me to kind of like do that. And that's why I find it so, so joyful. I mean, once I hang up pieces of art and like can sit back and watch people um, and their reactions, that's why I love doing it in my neighborhood if I can. But there's nothing that makes me happier than just seeing people smile and like have a giggle at my art. So London, will you take us just through a typical day for you? Definitely. This, these last few months have been a little less typical. So I'm going to go back to maybe like a 2019 day. Um, but some things are still the same. So I wake up, I try to do these things called morning pages, which I've learned from a book called the artist way where for usually it takes about 15 minutes. You just like free write. And I was doing it right before we came on free writing, kind of whatever chatter is going on in your mind. Um, so you get it out on the paper. So then, you know, maybe you aren't, so, so nervous or uppity all day. So I find that to be really helpful. Um, after that emails, uh, generally there's just standard back and forth emails, usually presentations as well, drawing and sketching, um, are always, always on my daily docket. Um, and then from there, it really depends. Like if I'm working on a certain collaboration with an artist, like yesterday, I chatted on the phone with a really amazing crochet artist, Legion. He's based out of Toronto and we're doing a cool project together. Um, so I like to try to, I like to talk to other people and other artists because working alone, you do get lonely. Like you're by yourself a lot. Um, so having those touchstones and people that you can work with and collaborate is always something I like to do. And um, from there, once all the emails are done and all that stuff is situated, then I can begin to crochet. Sometimes that's not until 5 p.m. Sometimes if I have a really big deadline, the crocheting starts around noon. But I um, I love to run. So I try to run if I can and do a little workout during the day as well. And um, yeah. That's that great. You talked about the amazing race. Let's talk about that for a minute. How did that happen? Well, my parents live in Santa Monica. And we went to a sushi restaurant and the host of the amazing race was picking up some sushi. And I've been a fan of the show forever. I just love it. I love traveling. I'm a big fan of seeing the world and the amazing race. So when he walked in, my dad, to embarrass me, yelled out the name, Hey, Phil, just to have him like draw his attention. He comes over, we get to chatting. And um, they were casting the season where it was individual people that were going to be randomly paired up with someone that they had never met before. And he, you know, they, they were like, you can send in a tape. So I made a tape. I went through all the standard process of getting cast. But ultimately, I was cast on season 29 of The Amazing Race. Wow. So what was it like to do that? The having no technology, like now looking into it, having a time where you were completely disconnected, they even take the phones out of the hotel room. So you can't do anything. Um, that was really interesting because nowadays I feel like a month without all of this technology is probably something that won't be happening again. Um, but racing from one country to the next and seeing places that I never thought I'd go to Zanzibar 
And like, just being in this rush of like going from one place to the other and seeing these places in a way, even when you're traveling, you wouldn't be seeing it in the way that you see it if you're on a TV show. So some of the experiences we did, like in South Korea, I got, I learned how to make kimchi in this like really traditional way where there's instruments playing and like you can hear the sounds of the like creek. And it was just like such a special thing that it was, I, now I even think it's even more special because we haven't been able to travel. Um, so friends that you make on the show, it's like family. And my partner was cool. His name's Logan. And um, we ended up getting third place. So I made it all the way around the world to the season finale. You know, it's it's really interesting to me that you made it to the finals as well. Uh, good things apparently start with sushi, right? So <laughs> that's pretty incredible. Uh, how did y'all manage it to make it that far? We were both, pr- we got along. I mean, we never fought. Um, so that definitely helped. And I think we both are pretty like physically able. Like I did love running. He's really strong and that helped. Um, we were really bad at directions. That's, that was the, neither of us can do that. So that was why we, I don't think went farther. <laughs> <laughs> what? What was the hardest thing you did on that show? Oh my gosh. In in Vietnam, I I rode a bike with shrimp traps on it, probably like 40 shrimp traps. So it was just like really heavy and hard to ride. And it was about 110 plus degrees. And um that was by far the hardest challenge. I got I got scraped up, bruised up. When I got home, it was like, how far do you think I went? <laughs> it's like <laughs> That's good. Oh, that's good. Well, I'm sure you were enjoyed the experience. You may have been, you know, glad when it was in your rearview mirror. I don't know, but that is such an amazing thing. Um, how do you balance all of this? You know, street art, um, just entrepreneurship, the the business, and and you know, really, how do you make your decisions? What you are going to do or not going to do? It's another great question, Alba. <laughs> Um, I guess I, I follow my gut, of course, but how do I make my decisions? It's, it's not easy for me to say no, um, to things, especially at the beginning when I was doing this, I said yes to pretty much everything, um, just for the experience. Um, but learning now how to say no or be okay with passing up opportunities that I don't necessarily need to do or want to do. Um, that's been something that I've been trying to work on more and more, but I talk to friends, I talk to family, I listen to myself, I listen to my morning pages. And I also like to keep pushing things farther because since I've been doing this, a lot of people have been starting to yarn bomb and they, they see my style and will, will do that, which I am flattered. I have a book, Crochet with London K, where I literally teach people to yarn bomb. So, I love seeing it, but for me, it's kind of like an artist and wanting to do this for a long time. My decisions, I think, are also a lot of times based on how do I continue to push the envelope farther and continue to create art in a new way. So, London, who inspires you? I get so inspired by Picasso. Um, I'll go with that. Um, But I really am inspired by other artists, like great artists, but also people like Banksy. 
and just these like big names in the art world. Andy Warhol has been so inspiring, like his big, bold art. Um, but then like, I'll get inspired by how we were kind of talking like nature almost like when, when beautiful, when people create beautiful things out of nature and like the world around them, um, in other mediums, other than yarn, I'm also very, very inspired. Do you have any artists that you follow? Oh yeah, (laughs) I do. I do. Um, my Instagram feed is, is full of them. Um, but I really love this artist. Her name's unskilled worker and she's based out of uh, England and she's a painter and she started painting um, much late in her life, just for some reason, picked up a brush and started. And it's, I love her art. She's really great. If you look at your journey, what are you most for grateful for in this journey? Well, it is always lucky to be born into the family. You have no choice in the matter. And to be born into the family I was born into, I think is pretty darn lucky. So I'll have to go with that. Yeah. Family is something amazing to be grateful for. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, what has surprised you along your journey? It surprised me how many ways you can use yarn. Like, I didn't know you could wrap a school bus in yarn, but then I did. And I didn't like, I, I didn't think that there would be a place for, you know, crazy crocheted head to toe uh, costumes in a delivery.com commercial. Like I just, you don't expect that you could use yarn to do all these amazing things. I didn't expect yarn to be able to last so great in the weather. Who knew? So there's been so many surprises and, and I've been really surprised at like how this is kind of energizing the yarn, the knitting and crocheting community, because traditionally this is, you know, typically something older people will do. And I, I feel like I'm getting this new, like with the DIY generation, like feel going on, just crocheting and knitting is getting so much more popular with the younger generations that that really makes me happy too. So you're always pushing yourself um, to take things to the next level. What's next? Well, I have always been like, I want to make people happy. I don't want to do something that's going to make someone feel sad or have them have emotions that aren't of joy. And with everything that's gone on in, in the country, starting with the protests surrounding George Floyd, I have realized like I no longer can sit here and not say things about things that are important to me. Like it, as long as they're coming right from the heart, even if they possibly could offend someone, like as long as they're in line with what I really believe there's no reason why I should be afraid to share that. And so I think this, this whole next chapter and journey is just about bringing more intention and more meaning to each and every piece that I, I create. Tell me about your, your symbol, your eye. How did that come to be? Now, <laughs> you did it again with the question. It's so good. Um, so the eye it started out because um, my grandfather has very bright blue eyes. And people always said, that's where I get my eyes from my grandpa. And in 2014, he passed away. And his favorite holiday was Thanksgiving. So Thanksgiving was right around the corner. And for everyone in my family, um, extended and all, I made them all beanies with a big eye on the front, um, representing his eye. So 
that's kind of where it started. And then a few, like, it wasn't too long after my friend was like, you got to come to the sneaker convention with me. And I was like, I'm not going to a sneaker convention. But then I said, but if I can crochet my sneakers, I'll do it. And I crocheted my sneakers and then I put an eye on the back of the sneaker. And then I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. And ever since then, that eye has been something that's been a part of kind of like my, my brand, you could say. But the eye has so many meanings to so many people. And I've loved that it's able to kind of be something that anyone can put their own feelings towards. But for me, it's my grandpa. Isn't that great? That, that's just, I love that story. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. If you will, we have a couple of audience questions. Can I, can I ask you these? Yes, please. <laughs> okay. All right. So someone is asking, can you tell us more about creating immersive experiences? How do you take a simple thing like yarn and build it into an experience? Oh, it it's, takes a lot of yarn to make it immersive. That's for sure. Um, I have done quite a few immersive experiences. And sometimes these can turn into like Instagram show pieces, which is something that I have always very much avoided with any art that I've done in this way. But one that's super cool, I did the set design for a dance show called Beyond Babel. It opened in January. It'll be back. Um, but the whole entire set is crocheted and it's meant to all the pieces. They even have chain link fences that they move around with art on either sides. And it takes a lot of time because generally they're big, but also people are looking at it at a, for a long time. The dance show is two hours. So people see every detail and every, every piece of it. So for that one, it was very important for me to just make it very authentic and make it feel like a real world. Like these dancers are in this world. And um, it was really cool to get to like, see that vision come out. Um, another one though, is at the Sweet Tooth Hotel actually in Dallas, Texas, and it's open right now. And it's a whole immersive fiber art land. And there's seven plus artists that have created all these spaces and I have two rooms and one is a mermaid lagoon. And the thing that put that over the top to make it immersive is not only the tons of mermaids and seahorses and coral um, that you see around, but we added a really cool lighting filter up at the top to make it really feel like you're underwater. So just by simply adding the light, you get this way more immersive feel. I also have a, a pink New York City going on in that that installation as well um, in a separate room. And that's a totally different feel. So anyone in Dallas, I highly recommend checking. So that's going on right now. At what hotel? Uh, it's called the Sweet Tooth Hotel. And it's okay. actually an immersive art installation. So they got the name hotel because each room is kind of like a different hotel. Room. Okay. Sounds like I need a road trip. All right. <laughs> Okay, next question. You mentioned Bansky. Do you have similar goals in your work? I mean, I would love to have my work like appreciated on such a high level and be able to have my art, you know, collected. That would be really cool. But I I don't see my I'm out there. You see my face. <laughs> um I I don't, you know, in that sense definitely not, but I, I would love to go more in the fine art world. 
direction at some point. To you, what is the point of creating art? To me, the point of creating art is, I would say to inspire people, but it really is to kind of go back to what I was talking about before, bringing people into that present moment, making a certain feeling for even just a moment. Um, I think art is amazing right now, especially anything that makes you giggle or makes you think about a train of thought um, that you wouldn't have without it, I think is, is good. You mentioned 3D printing. Do you see this as something you can use for your art or is it just a tool? I, well, 3D printing definitely is something that's used for my art because it literally makes the tools I use. I, all my hooks are 3D printed. So in a sense, the 3D printing does help make my art. Um, I have printed a little Pikachu, but other than that, it's really just kind of a tool for creating hooks. It would be fascinating to use it at some point, but it sits there. I have it on practically every day. So not yet, but one day, maybe, maybe I can 3d print a crocheted, I don't know, weaving of some kind. That would be pretty sweet. So I have your book here. Okay. So we're going to show it there. All right. Crochet with London K. I recommend this book. It's really great. Um, fantastic. Also, available are your kits which are so cool how many of these are out there now there are 11 different kits and each one has patterns that go along with it and um also the crochet hook design was licensed by lion brand yarn who makes the kit so you can actually get the hooks not 3d printed but um you can get your your hooks too that so. is so great that's so great and um so where can people find you you can find me, my website is londonk, spelled K-A-Y-E dot com, or on my Instagram at madebylondon is always a good place. Now, do you have anything else coming up right now? What's coming up? Right now, I'm doing a campaign for uh, LA. It's called LA versus Hate. So I'm creating a piece for, for that, which will be really fun. We're going to go and hang it up soon. Um, and then things are starting again, which is exciting, which is exciting. I um, created an immersive experience for the Kelly Clarkson show when her show started last year. So I'm actually a guest on her set as uh, a show leading up to her second season that will be coming out in September. Oh, and um, yeah, just a lot, a lot of things you got to follow along. I never know which ones I can talk about and which ones I can't, but one's really exciting. So <laughs> stay tuned. All right. Oh, we sure will. London K, thank you so much for being here. I hope that we get to visit again soon. I'd love to uh, stay in touch and see what all you're doing. So guys, go look up London K. Thank you for being on Nelda Live. Thank you for having me.